Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are locked on Mavericks. Your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Welcome into Locked On Mavericks for Wednesday, September 28th. My name is Mike Marshall. Jacob Kemp is on the other end of this phone line. How you doing, Jake? Doing very well. Found your car? Got my car. <laughs> Perfect. Off to a great start. Uh, he is at Not Jack Kemp, uh, and he's on the radio every single day in Dallas, Texas, um, noon to 3 on Bad Radio and Sports Radio 13. Send the ticket. Also hosts Sunday. Uh, 8 to 11 unless Cowboy game butts into his time slot on a show called The Shake Joint. I am uh, Mike Marshall at Machine Sports on Twitter. I work at The Ticket as well. I host Saturdays 10 to noon on a show called Not a Podcast. If you would like to give that a whirl, you go right ahead. Um, we're, a lar- we're a part of the uh, larger Locked On podcast network um, started by David Locke, the jazz play-by-play guy who did Locked On NBA for a really long time. So if you have a uh, interest in overall NBA podcast? Go check his out. Uh, if you have a favorite football team, I bet you it's on there. If you have a uh, interest in fantasy sports, there's a podcast for you on on uh, on the network as well. And it's uh, the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, and it's every single day. Uh, we bring it to you daily. And the season is quite a ways away, so we've been using some audio from Media Day, which was Monday. Because it's the first time we get to sit down and blankly stare at these guys as they are forced to talk to us for 13 minutes straight. Um, and yesterday, we did uh, our new best friend. I think we're going to be real friends with Andrew Bogut before uh, before it's too before too long. I think me and him are just going to be, you know, drinking Fosters together and just be old pals. Uh, one, that's racist. And two, you've tried this like three different times and it's always failed. Uh, it's kind of worked. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Shoot me CP's number. <laughs> kind of worked. Um, yeah, he's a. Uh, let's not talk about him. Um, so we did Bogut uh, yesterday. Today we're gonna focus on our other new friend. I don't think the likelihood of me being real friends with him is quite as high. Yeah. Uh, it is. It is Harrison Barnes. At least you have the, reasonable uh, expectations. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Twenty-four years old, um, former Golden State Warrior. Um, has never played more than 31 minutes uh, per game in a season, has never scored more than 12 points per game, um, has never had a PER n- north of uh, 12, I believe. So, And if you're a guy that really likes to quote uh, contracts and uh, say that people aren't worth them, yeah, this is your opportunity. Uh, four years, $94 million. I think we've given our opinions pretty thoroughly on what happened in the offseason between um, – switching from Chandler Parsons to Harrison Barnes. And I think we're kind of both of the uh, mind that, okay, that's fine. I don't know why you did it. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me unless you just looked at his knee and it looked like um, 
you know, something a, a shark had eaten. But um, we'll focus on Harrison Barnes because he's our new guy. And uh, we'll chop up some audio. We'll talk uh, – we'll touch on topics such as why did he come to Dallas, um, living up to expectations, playing the four, pick and roll ball handler. Uh, he talks on Bogut a little bit. And then uh, defense and potential. And I ask him a real hard-hitting question of would Mark Cuban make a good president? And I watch him dance. So – uh, let's start with, um, you know, why Dallas? Why come here? Um, I bet he – I don't know if he had another opportunity for uh, this much money, but uh, let's let's hear from the man himself. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things on paper. But, you know, I like this locker room. You know, I think it's a group of high-character guys. And I think when you look at, um, you know, what this franchise has done year in, year out, um, you know, stable ownership. Coach Carlisle is, in my opinion, uh, you know, one of the best coaches in the NBA. And – you know, he always puts his guys in good positions. You look at their player development, guys that have come here, gotten better throughout the years, and then, um, you know, be able to, like I said, learn from a guy named Dirk, um, who's, you know, done it year in, year out. He's pretty much built this place, you know, through his work ethic. Uh, just to be able to learn from a guy like that, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, a rare opportunity. All right, so he quotes basically, you know, Rick Carlisle is one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, it'd be really fun to play next to Dirk. Um, and I think the thing that he can't say that everyone's thinking while he's talking is, oh, yeah, and they paid me more money than anyone else would. You know, <clears throat> I don't want to be a homer, but I really do think that that was just a function of everybody waiting for the KD cards to fall. If he, mm-hmm. had, been, if he had been an unrestricted free agent, which, which does affect your market value, I get that. But I, I really do believe that in, in that market, he was going to get that money from someone. It was just a matter of no other team wanting to tie up $100 million of cap room uh, with the uncertainty out there of whether or not he was going to be available or not because there were so many other free agents that people were out there snatching up. And I think most people thought, um, you know, outside of, um, you know, Harala Bob, you know, Vulgaris <laughs> the day before saying that it was done. I think most people thought the chalk was on uh, Durant staying in Oklahoma City. And if not, I don't remember Golden State being like the favorite until like three days before. So yeah. I think that if if Kevin Durant had on day one of free agency re-signed with Oklahoma City, or let's say that on day one he uh, made it clear that he was going to Golden State, I think Harrison Barnes signs in any number of NBA markets for four for 94. I really do. I don't know about like every team would have paid him, but every team that had cap room and had a need at the wing would have paid him very close to what the Mavericks paid him. I, I don't I don't think it's accurate to say that they overpaid. I think it's accurate to say that they got lucky to be in a spot to pay him what they did. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a, um, a ceiling. There's a max offer you can put on the table, and no one else can go higher than that. So it's kind of a unique situation. And I don't think... 20, you know, starting at 22 million a year, like as odd as this sounds, I don't think that's an insane number um, because I think Ryan Anderson got close to that. Um, uh, I would have been in no way surprised if Marvin Williams would have gotten a one year, about $20 million type of deal. Yeah. Um, but because of the age, uh, 24 years old and the pedigree, uh, the number one player coming out of high school uh, going to North Carolina, that's the price of business for. You don't you don't get a player of that pedigree at that age uh, for anything less than whatever max is, and max this year is four for ninety four for a player 
of that experience in the NBA. So I don't think it's an overpay. It does blow – there is some kind of uh, balance between it's not an overpay and also blowing your mind that a player that hasn't proven a ton in the league still gets a max offer. Sure. And you're paying for potential and you're paying for upside. And, you know, people are going to quote that number and not have the common sense to look around the league and see what other guys are making that might not be as good as him or might be on par with him. So, I don't know, we've fought the quoting contracts battle for a good, what, five years now? Yeah. Um, so I think we've said plenty on it. But there you go. There's him on uh, Y Dallas. And um, the situation just happened, the timing-wise, uh, where Dallas was the one team standing there ready to – uh, back the do- the dock or the truck up to the dock with uh, that was filled with money um, after KD signed. So let's uh, listen to him talk about uh, living up to uh, expectations and how to handle new expectations with the contract. Yeah, I mean he was just um, just talking to me about what he's seen over the years, um, and just in terms of you know kind of going from you know being the role player to having more prominent role. Uh, what does that mean? Not getting caught up in the numbers and just preparation, you know, putting in more time and effort. You know, I like to think that, you know, I'm a guy that I work hard, put extra shots up, but, you know, now it's, it's a different level um, of that, you know what I'm saying? To, to do that, you know, night in, night out, that consistency factor, you know, the fact of, you know, some nights when you just don't have it, um, you know, you don't have that luxury anymore, you know, just because you have an increased role. So, and I think that's, you know, a big area which I'm going to lean on Dirk for, just to learn, you know, how for 19, 18 years he's done that and uh, just continue to get better. So the thing about Harrison Barnes is he's very uh, generic speak. He's oh, yeah. just kind of like uh, <laughs> got to do better, got to put in the time and stuff like that. And he basically says, you know, I'm going to lean back on Dirk to try and coach me through living up to these expectations. And honestly, nothing he said in that – in that uh, little clip right there made me feel better. Like he had some kind of different approach other than, you know, I'll be playing more minutes so my totals will be higher. But I don't know. I feel like this would have been a better question for Bogut. Like how do you see that guy, um, your teammate? Is he ready for this kind of challenge type thing? Because Barnes is going to say the same stock answer I bet he said for a month already. Yeah, no, I mean, he. I don't, I don't find it all that encouraging whenever someone tells me I'm going to lean on a player, uh, another player, to learn how to be the man. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I guess there's – I guess it's, you could take that one of two ways, either that he uh, knows what value Dirk has to offer him and that maybe he can – I guess – but nobody had to teach – well, I was going to say nobody had to teach Dirk, but that's not entirely true either. But I don't know. You don't really need to learn from Dirk. You were just with Steph Curry. <laughs> right uh, for four years. So to me, the Harrison Barnes is never going to be the best player on a contending team. I don't. Right. I like having him here, but I like having him here uh, as a part of a larger tapestry. That whether it's somebody they draft next year, and I know at some point we need to talk about next year's point guard draft because uh, sure. it's thick, or it's another free agent they sign next year. Uh, Harrison Barnes, I think, can be as he improves maybe the second best player on a really good team, more likely probably the third. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a whole lot. I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot about on-floor stuff that Dirk can teach him. There may be a lot yeah. about off-the-court off stuff, which might actually be you know, more important as a guy tries to take the next step. Yeah, I don't know if he needs that, though. I mean, he seems like you know a really smart guy, um, really solid character type dude. 
Um, if he needs off the, you know, off the court kind of pointers, I'd be very surprised. And I don't know, like, it's like um, what Ted Williams coaching baseball. Like, I don't think right. Dirk coaching basketball would be very effective. Like, it's okay. Hit the hit the off balance uh, one legged fadeaway now. Yeah. Well, I can't. I can't <laughs> do that. <laughs> I can't really do that. Oh, shoot forty from three now. Like, I really can't do that. But nothing, nothing he said made me feel better. In fact, like leaning back on, you know, I'm going to ask Dirk what to do kind of made me feel a little bit worse. But I don't know. He is a, he is a pillar to a better team, uh, a bridge to a better Mavericks team, um, particularly because of age and potential. So I don't know, man. I don't know what to, what to say about him living up to expectations or not because it's on you as to what your expectations are yep. um, for him. And I think we're very realistic about it. Uh, the next two things are the things that I was most interested in, which is um, him playing the four. Um, and whenever Dirk comes off the court at the seven-minute mark of the first quarter, basically, is what we're talking about. So we'll let you hear that. I'll probably play a lot of four. Um, because now everyone you know, has a small ball lineup. So uh, whether that means Dirk's goes to the five, whether that means, um, you know, Dwight's the five, I'm the four, Justin's three, whatever it may be. But the biggest difference is just um, your responsibility defensively. You know, as a, as a three, as a small forward, you're able to roam a little bit, but you mostly lock into your man while as the four, you know, you're calling out a lot of pick and roll coverages. Um, you know, rebounding wise, you know, that responsibility falls a lot more on you. And you just have to just be smart that, you know, you are, you know, the rim protection or you are the guy, the last line of defense. You know, it's not somebody else behind you that's going to be, you know, covering up for you. All right, so I found it interesting that whenever he talks about playing the four, um, not much of it was offensive. Uh, on the offensive end was what he was worried about uh, because he he spoke more in depth about defense, about calling out uh, coverages and being a rim protector and being one of the last lines of defense between uh, the ball and the rim. I think, uh, you know, you got to talk. Uh, you got to talk about some topic whenever you're asked these questions. But I think for him offensively might be a bigger challenge in replicating, you know, what the offense gets out of Dirk from the four position on the offensive end. But I, I thought it was kind of interesting. He just kind of fell back to this is what I got to do defensively. Uh, yeah, I mean, I find it um, interesting, but also like kind of encouraging because I'm less worried about how they work things like that out on offense. Because if you can shoot the three, which in a perfect world he can – Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really care. He's not going to have the ball in his hands. Right. Um, and if he's not going to have the ball in his hands and he's probably not going to be setting a whole lot of picks, uh, his offensive game, you know, whether he's at the four or the three, isn't really going to change all that much. Mm -hmm. It's really just going to be a matter of what he's doing on the glass and what he's doing defensively. Yeah. And he did, he did mention, uh, kind of in passing Dwight Powell playing the five, which really encouraged me yeah. because you know, that's something no one's asked about, and it's not really a pressing issue, but it's something that I've wanted since he's, you know, he stepped in that locker room. Um, let's, uh, let's go to the next thing. You mentioned it, um, ball handling. Uh, I asked him specifically about pick-and-roll ball handling. My question was basically, um, you know, Felton's gone, Parsons is gone. There are a lot of possessions a lot of possessions per game out there for a secondary ball handler and particularly one that can run a, uh, a pick and roll. How much have you worked on that and what's your comfort level and do you think Rick trusts you in that? So uh, here's his answer. 
If, if my number is called, I'll definitely, definitely do it. Coach is very meticulous with the details, and he's all about preparation. So um, I have to go through a lot of checks and balances before I get that, that privilege for sure. Um, so we'll see. So basically, that's a r- long way of saying, nah, I ain't doing a whole lot of that. <laughs> um, says Rick has a lot of checks and balances. He's really into the footwork. You know, uh, I'll have some level of clearance before I'm allowed to do that. So if you had any ambitions of him um, replicating what the, how they use Chandler Parsons the last two seasons, um, I don't think that's going to happen, buddy. So that leaves me with a lot of questions as to what is their – stock play on offense um and you know you there's different ways to score there's different ways to get guys open but last year it seemed like they fell back on a secondary ball handler running pick and roll I don't know what 65 70 percent of the time um so I'm kind of with my hands up in the air going okay so what's the plan yeah, and I don't think we're gonna know for I don't think they know <laughs> if you to right. be totally honest I think it's gonna be a while mm-hmm. um so I think it's going to be a lot of Seth Curry, a lot of J.J. Barea, a lot of post-ups, uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, D-Will driving kicks. But, you know, I don't think they know. And it, But I think what they do know is it's not going to involve Harrison Barnes handling the ball. Yeah. Like, I, I was wanting him to take some strides in that department, but it feels like Rick's um, – you know, stringent policies on the on the practice of ball handling um, seem to have already spooked Harrison Barnes and to the point where he says, you know, if my number's called, I'll do it. But, uh, yeah, Rick's pretty uptight about that whole deal. So if you had any ambitions of him uh, replicating what we got out of Chandler Parsons the last two years, and I'm not saying that's the best way to use a guy like that either. It was just uh, you did this for two years straight. Are you going to do this going forward? And the answer is uh, looks like it's no. So let's hear him talk about uh, Andrew Bogut, um, a guy he's been teammates with basically since he came into the league. Um, and uh, here's Harrison Barnes and Andrew Bogut. What you saw in the Olympics, I mean, that's, that's what you want him to do. I mean, block shots, rebound, um, play above the rim, uh, knock down free throws. I mean, those were <laughs> all those things. Um, I think that's what he can bring to this team. And, you know, especially – you know, in the NBA now, everyone wants to play small. Everyone wants to speed the game up. To be able to have a guy like him who can protect the rim, pass like a guard, and get up and down the floor is rare. So uh, we just need him to do all those things. I think the most interesting thing coming out of that is uh, the quote, passes like a guard. Yeah. Um, and everybody knows about the rim protection. They know, you know, what he did in the Olympics and uh, how hot he came out. But uh, it's something we touched on yesterday when we were talking about Bogut. Um, the facilitating of the basketball where he was basically assist percentage on par with Chandler Parsons last year. That's something that gets overlooked because you look at a big man and you think, okay, name my top three criteria for a big man. Um, you know, I want rim protection. I want some kind of low post um, offense ability to finish down there. I don't really think passing gets in there, but he, Barnes was one of three people that complimented Bogut's um, passing ability. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you are going to have a little bit of a gummed-up offense with regard to people that can can or can't drive and people that can or can't run the pick-and-roll, at least you do have uh, probably at any given time at least three shooters on the floor, and pretty much Mm -hmm. everyone is a capable passer. Right. Because I would say Dirk still qualifies as that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bogut, I think Powell has a little bit, and, you know, it's – 
Salah's not like terrible. I mean, he's not. I would not say he's a plus passer, but uh, he's not. You know, complete stone hands. So, mm-hmm. Bogut's passing is going to have to be big because I mean, when, yeah. you, when you just don't have a lot of secondary ball handling at all, your bigs are going to have to move the ball, and especially if you're going to try to get some like reverse matchups where your guards are posting people up, it's going to yeah. require your bigs to be able to pass. Right, and if you have any ambition of being like a top twelve, top fifteen offense. Um, you're not going to get it off natural playmaking. And you're not going to get it off natural um, shot creation. And the trick to the 2011 championship that Rick talked about for the next year straight was they were the best ball movement passing team in the league. And there's a way to cheat um, your deficiencies if you are um, that superior at ball movement and uh, and passing. I don't know if it'll be this year, but I think they've they need to rely on that because – we know what they are, and they're not a shot creation team. So um, let's hear him talk about the defensive potential of this roster and the uh, kind of wax about the flexibility of the guys that uh, he just met, his new teammates. Uh, I think we can be really good. Um, you know, both you know Andrew and I are used to you know switching a lot of things. Um, we're used to playing on the string together, and. You know, when you got a guy like, you know, Wes Matthews out there, you know, who in my opinion is an underrated defender, um, just because, you know, look at what he did last year. I mean, he was, you know, guarding the best player at pretty much any position night in, night out. You know, I think we have a lot of things that we can do. You know, D. Will being a bigger guard, um, you know, Justin Anderson being able to guard multiple positions, Dwight Powell being able to guard multiple positions. Uh, I think we have a lot of things we can offer. So that was interesting. He said um, Wes Matthews is an underrated defender. Um I don't know if that's the way it's thought of around the league. I guess so, um, that people don't rate him quite high enough uh, on the defensive end. And I did, uh, you know, he sees the same things we see whenever you start talking about uh, throwing Justin Anderson in there and the ability of a two through four basically to switch uh, on the different different guys. And, you know, I guess it's just nice hearing somebody echo what we've talked about at length, um, the defensive flexibility, the position to – uh, defend multiple positions and the ability to switch of the two through four, which should be your bedrock of defense. And then, oh, oh by the way, you've got Bogey back there too. Yeah, and he brings up Pal, which is mm-hmm. encouraging because, like you said, it's weird to hear people say that Wes Matthews is underrated, but yeah. I would trust what he knows about what the league thinks before what me or you know the rest of the media think or fans think about uh, Wes Matthews. But whether it's underrated or properly rated we all know that he's good yeah uh, so that absolutely that that lets you know that the guys in the league maybe maybe they're just not that in tune with what we know or think like, sure that's entirely possible I, I think it's I think it's totally understandable for someone to roll into Dallas on a given night and watch with Wes Matthews defend your best player uh, your best wing player and think that he might have gotten torched a little bit and just you know not take into account what he's dealing with I think that's totally possible. Um, all right, and last one's a little fun one. I basically – he talked at length about, uh, you know, Mark Cuban being political and stuff like that, and I was not going to let him leave this room without answering, would Mark Cuban make a good president? <laughs> so here's his answer. Would Mark Cuban make a good president? He uh... – <laughs> yeah. yeah, he made, he made a pretty good president. Was that a politically correct answer? <laughs> You know, I was going to, yeah. I, I thought about it for a second, and then I was like, 
Man, his jersey is just so nice. Uh, yeah, he'd be phenomenal. He'd be phenomenal. All right, so it's basically a non-answer. Um, <laughs> he, he goes, um... And then he thinks about the $94 million that are about to be in his bank account. <laughs> yeah. And, and what that can do for him, and he just kind of sidesteps it. But I just thought it was funny. We don't have to comment on it that much. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it's insane that Mark Cuban runs for president <laughs> in 2024 either. No, and at some point uh, we would probably have to have a conversation about what that means for the Mavericks because that's yeah. like the 50th most important thing uh, if, sure. if he decided to do that. But, I mean, I think he would have to divest, you know, which would suck. Yeah, you got to sell. Yeah, yeah you got to sell because you got stuff to do otherwise. Um, all right, so I got a one-on-one with Seth Curry yesterday. We'll run that at some point. Uh, tomorrow, I think we're going to review Wes Matthews because he had some interesting things to say. So uh, thank you for listening to Locked On Mavericks. Please subscribe, review. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thank you so much for your time, Jake. All right, man.